a, a series called Our Greatest Value. And uh, it was probably Mike's idea, I think it was. But it's, uh, as I listened to Mike last week preach the first of what I believe is going to be a five-part series on what our greatest value is, I, I, was, I was challenged. And I thought, what a great thing to do in the beginning of the year. How many of you guys in January, like everyone else, I think, just start to recalibrate and reset? How did stuff go last year, and where am I going this year? Does anybody else ask yourself similar questions? Someone nod at me, please. You guys, I'm turning 40 in March. Yes. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> so I, I, I think I did it this year. I don't know for those of you who have been there um, and passed that mile marker, I guess, to some degree. I, I know that this year as I approached January, I really started to think, wow, what was all the stuff I wanted to do before I was 40? <laughs> And where am I at? Um, and I've recognized a lot of things and, and became, have become pretty introspective about life and starting in a, in a new way, maybe in a refreshed way to think through my greatest value. What are the things that matter? What are the things that count in life? And, and I love that we're doing this series in January. I love that we're kicking off this series for all of us together as a church to recalibrate, to think through um, what, what does our life demonstrate um, that we value? Not what do we intellectually just kind of assent to or point to or verbally say, but as we actually Take a moment and look at our lives and what we do and how we spend them. What does our life demonstrate that we value for real? And it's challenging. I was assigned to do today uh, our greatest value as it pertains to prayer. And we're going to read together Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15, we see in verses 9 through 13 the Lord's Prayer, a very common, a very known prayer. And I got to tell you, this prayer, as we dig into it, and as Mike would say, I pray that we would dig a trench through this this morning and really look at what the Word of God says, what Jesus says about our priorities in prayer. As I begin to look at it, I got to be honest with you, it meddles in our lives. It meddles in mine, and, and I, I confess to you this morning that this has been a, re, a recalibrating passage in my life over the last couple of weeks. This is something that I really need to spend some time reflecting on. This is something I really need to personally spend some time um, going over and being introspective and prayerful and thoughtful about in my own life. And so, are you willing to look at it with me this morning? Let's first pray and ask God that he would speak to us this morning through his word. God, we thank you for who you are. You are a great God. We are so grateful this morning that we can, can even come, that we have access to be in your presence this morning in this place, to pray, to worship, to get into your word. I ask this morning that you would, through your spirit, reach into our hearts by your word and change us. Change me. Draw us closer to you. Give us a new perspective this morning. Give us a new 
way of thinking. Give us a new priority list if we need it this morning. Help us to think differently. As you've revealed yourself in your word and who you are and how you relate to us, God, bring us to that place and, and illuminate it in our hearts. Light it, your word, on fire so that it resonates with us, so that it changes us. Through your spirit, help us to see. Open our eyes. Do what only you can do in our hearts this morning. We ask that of you, and we know that you are here and that you can change us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, this is, sorry, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. These are his words. Some of your Bibles may have red letters. Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I think we need to ask ourselves, how does our prayer life demonstrate our values? How does the way we pray demonstrate what we value? Or, or do we pray at all? I was watching intently, standing in front of my television with my almost 12-year-old son last night as the Steelers, leading the entire time, Almost blow it. How many of you guys were there with me? Maybe some of you um, were rooting for the Bengals, and I'm sorry, I'm not. But as I watched this, I, I, I actually found it interesting because, you know, they, 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 they throw the interception. I don't know if any of you watched. They throw the interception, and, you know, the Bengals are going to win. They're up by one point. And then the running back for the Bengals, Hill fumbles it, and the Steelers get it back, and there's like a minute and 20 seconds left, and me and Aiden are screaming at the television, there's still hope, there's still hope, we can do this, right? And, and what I found interesting about it last night is, in the context of what I'm going to talk to you about, it actually matters what I'm saying in terms of the message, um, is the camera kept panning over to this poor, this poor running back from the Bengals. And, the, and of course, the television leaves the camera on him as the Steelers are marching down the field and they're about to get in the field goal range. And you just see Hill standing on the sideline in 
active prayer. <laughs> How many of you guys saw this? This poor dude was just standing there like, oh, dear God, please don't let my fumble be the thing that blew this game, right? How many of you have been there before? Maybe not in an NFL game or in the playoffs, but in the mundane things of life. Really, this, football doesn't matter that much, right? I mean, it, it feels like it does. But what was that famous Miami Dolphin, I can't remember his name, who said, if the Super Bowl was such a big deal, why are they doing it again next year, right? (laughs) (laughs) And we see in this passage grand things and we see mundane things. What we see in this prayer, and John Piper, as he broke down this passage, I was reading what he said about it this morning, he, he said it really reflects real life because you see the grandiose in the first three petitions in the passage, and then you see the everyday life in the last three petitions. And and what we see in the Lord's Prayer is we see six real petitions to God. We have those moments in life, don't we? We have those grand moments. I can think of big moments in life. My wedding I can think of when my children were born. I think of, for me, graduating from law school or getting that job or, or those big moments in life that, that seem to be milestones in your life, those, those grand things. And then the reality of our lives is, is the everyday things, right? Every, every day, get up in the morning, I'm getting the kids ready for the bus, I gotta get to work, and uh, Nathan, my youngest, misses the bus, and so now I got to drive him to school, and I'm getting ready. I'm trying to get him to brush his teeth, and I don't have time to bring him to school and to get through the Dunkin' Donuts drive through but I so desperately need coffee, and I'm standing at my cupboard, and there is no travel mug. How many of you guys have been there? And I'm praying, dear God, I have 30 seconds to find a travel mug, or I'm not going to make it through today, right? Prayer is in the mundane and it's in the grand. And, and so here we see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is such an amazing um, passage in its entirety. And I really, I'm challenging myself in this. This is something I want to spend some more time reading and memorizing the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because as you read through the entire Sermon on the Mount, you see how it all fits together in, in, in the context of this passage that we're about to talk about. But Jesus, after talking about the hypocrisy of, of those who somehow sometimes publicly give to the needy, and now he gets into this, this idea of prayer, he sets priorities for our prayer life. And what we see is we see insight into who God's revealed himself to be and how he wants us in our life to set our priorities in our prayer life. What what we saw was public prayer was a common um, thing that that a Jewish man would do in in the mornings, in the afternoons, and in the evenings. There would be times of public prayer. And and what we see in the beginning of this passage is Jesus isn't rebuking public prayer. In fact, we see other moments in Scripture where where public prayer is something he does or encourages or that that we're encouraged to do in Scripture. But what Jesus is getting at in the the beginning of this passage in verse 5 as we read it is, is he says this, And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So as Jesus begins to set out our priorities in our prayer life and how we think about our God and and, and how we relate to him, he says, don't do it like that. What's he getting at? He's getting at our heart. 
in the way that we pray, isn't he? Don't, don't, don't do it like those who, who publicly pray in front of everybody so that people see them. And, and what's interesting and, and what's challenging to me as I look at verse 5 is we don't have as much of this as they did in their day, this public prayer in the synagogues. But we do have moments in our spiritual life and in our quasi-religious life or just in life in general where we have an opportunity in front of people to look good, right? How many of you guys like to put your best foot forward? But as Jesus sets out our priorities and how we relate to God, he drives right down into a hard issue. And he says, listen, there's got to be a moment in your relationship with God and how you pray where it's not about you looking good in front of other people. It's not about how other people see you when you pray to God. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, but that's not what prayer's about. What I'm asking you to do is to go into your house, go into your room, where nobody's looking, where nobody knows, where no one else is around, and shut the door and get with God. Do I value God not because of what other people see me do in relationship to him? Or do I value God in such a way that I got to get alone with him and it doesn't even matter if anyone knows? Nobody knows I'm praying. It's not something anyone sees. My prayer isn't about how I look towards other people or how they think of me. My prayer happens when nobody knows and when no one's looking and I go into a place and I shut the door and it's about me and God. Those moments, that moment, does that exist in my life? Do I value God to such a degree that it's about my focus on him and my relationship with him? Do I have a a relationship with God in such a way that it has nothing to do with religiousness or what other people see or what anybody knows about? It only has to do with me and God. It really speaks to our heart. It really speaks to what we care about. Is my faith about going to church and checking a box on a weekend. And hey, I showed up and everybody in my community saw me there. Here I am, I'm at church, I'm a religious dude, and I prayed and I went up for communion. Jesus says, that's not what this is about at all. Don't do it like that. Shut the door. Where no one sees you. No one knows because it's about you and God. I want to value God like that. Am I in that place consistently? Recognizing that victories in life and a faithful life of worship for a Christian come through prayer, come through my alone behind the door in my closet prayer with God where no one sees and nobody knows. What's my motivation in my prayer when no one's looking? You know, this, this, this little admonition, this, this first part of the Lord's prayer before he gets into it really, really gets at our values. It really gets at what we value because honestly, we do value when the rubber hits the road what we spend time doing, don't we? Our time really equals what we value. 
Where, do I, where are the moments, the minutes, the seconds of my life spent? How is my life like cash being spent? What am I doing with my time, with the minutes and the seconds and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years of my life? What am I doing? That really demonstrates to everybody and to God, really, what we value. And so he said, get in your room, shut the door where no one sees, and you can be focused. on." He, he admonishes them. It's really not about repeated empty phrases, right? He says, don't heap up empty phrases. It's not about the amount of words that you use. It's not about saying something in a way that's not thoughtful over and over again. There is some value sometimes, as we see in the word, to repeating phrases and to confessing scripture to the Lord. And, and listen, you're not going to last more than three minutes in your prayer life if it's not based in rising out of scripture, out of the word of God, as you pray and read and read and pray. But, but what he's saying is, if you just you know, have these empty, voluminous phrases that are not thoughtful, that are mindless, and you think you just repeat them like a chant without any kind of engagement or any kind of thinking, you might, as my old pastor used to say, you might as well print it, put it in a frame, hang it on the wall, and just point to it. It's not what it's about. It's not about being publicly recognized, and it's not about just saying a bunch of empty phrases that are mindless. This is what it's about. This is how you do it, Jesus says. And then he launches into the Lord's Prayer. The first words out of his mouth are what? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who have debt against us and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We see our Father who's in heaven. One, how be thy name. Two, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three, on earth as it is in heaven. These three grand, glorious petitions setting for us a priority list of how we are to pray. And then the, the last three of the six, daily bread, forgiveness, and please help me with my sin. The first three, talking about God. The last three, speaking to our personal needs. What an interesting structure to this prayer. I can't understate, I don't think, the first two words. Our Father. What we see here is the word which is in Aramaic, the common word that a Jewish child would use for his earthly dad, his earthly father. And I wouldn't go as far to say that some people do that it's like daddy in an irreverent kind of way. It's not, but it's dad. It's, it's a common phrase for their earthly father. It's coming to God and saying, dad, I need help. I've had the blessing of having a great father, a great earthly father, and I recognize in my life um, which way the help flows? <laughs> Anybody else? As a dad, I see it too. Um, you know, I'm today putting toothpaste on the toothbrush, putting socks on, finding stuff. Um, nonstop, my day is helping my kids. I'm, as I said, pushing 40 
instill the relationship between me and my father is, hey, Dad, I need help, <laughs> right? And I have recognized um, in my life a blessing from God in that regard because the security of that throughout my life has enabled me to take chances and do things and go for things in life and pursue things in life, knowing that my earthly parents, my earthly father's there to help and to, and to be there for me. And that has provided for me opportunity to, to do things. And those of you who maybe have had that opportunity and some of you who haven't, I think recognize that relationship or the lack of. But what we see here in Scripture is something powerful and relevant and incredibly applicable for every single person in this room, regardless of your earthly father. You can come to him in prayer. I can't understate this. You can come to him in prayer and you can say, Dad, I need you. Not just my father, not just father, but father who happens to be in heaven. <laughs> depicting authority, depicting his sovereignty, depicting his all-powerful capability to govern aid towards you and help towards you and love towards you unlike any other. Amen? Your prayer gets to be to Father, who because of Jesus you have access to, who loves you, who can provide for you, who's engaged in your life, not afar off. You can come to him as Jesus tells us to pray and say, Dad, I'm your child and I need help. Isn't that good news this morning? Unlike the, the secular humanist in our culture that, that would maybe depict in life that we are meaning, meaninglessly on some speck of dirt floating through the universe and in this 70 to 80 year blink of a life that you have to 90 to 100 years, God willing, it it's, has no purpose or no meaning and no one to cry out to for help. Or, or maybe in some other world religion where you would have to fulfill some list of do's and don'ts to somehow curry favor and live good enough to gain access to a God. We have the sovereign God of the universe who loves us, who says, you can come and say, Dad. Dad, who's in heaven? Who has all authority? Who has all power? Isn't that good news? We serve a great God who loves us and who is our father? You know, what kills me about myself is how little I do this. Right? As we look at this prayer and God orienting, reorienting for us our priorities, I, I begin to see, as the scriptures illuminated, that, that I have access to God, my father, who's in heaven who's sovereign, who's all-powerful, who's my dad, and I have access to him, and how often I go through life depending on my own capability and power and intellect and willpower and discipline. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? Why am I so apt to not pray to him, my father, who's in heaven, And then we see the first three grand petitions. That folks, for us, 
is the reorienting power of this prayer. Not, dear God, make me successful. Dear God, fix my life. Dear God, get me through this loss. Dear God, help me with this relationship that I want. Dear God, get me some money. Lord, help me to win the 900 million in the mega millions last night. How many people prayed that at 11 o'clock? <clears throat> but it's this. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus says, listen, it's not about you. It's about God's name being glorified. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like the angels do it in heaven. Hallowed be your name is the first prayerful words out of my mouth. God, you be glorified and your will and what you want to have happen on earth and in my life and in this moment and with my kids and with my marriage and in my job and in the way that I act and do things every single day, your will be done so that your name would be glorified, not that I get some more comfort or satisfaction or security or success. Amen? Really, this is what Jesus is speaking to as he reorients our priorities. And as we go into 2016, what is the passion of our life? What are we valuing? What are we shooting after? Are we shooting after more success at work? Are we shooting after more financial security? Are we trying to get to that place in life where we can maybe retire and then go chase a white ball for, for the next 20 years? Or what are we doing? What are we valuing? What is our life all about? And as I look around, I see a society of which I'm a part, of which I have gained benefit from, that has more security, more money, more financial success, more digital, intellectual, technological comfort than we've ever had in our lives. I literally go around my house now on a hoverboard. I don't even walk. It is the coolest thing in the world. <clears throat> it drives my wife crazy. I just... I just I hoverboard around. <clears throat> I have access to information immediately on my phone. When me and my wife get in an argument about what actor was in what movie, I can ask Siri and immediately prove her wrong. <laughs> and I only say that because she's in Buffalo right now with my daughter. <laughs> We're not any happier. We're not. We are not any happier. We got a bunch of rich teenagers with Xboxes and PS4s and Apple Watches who are cutting themselves and who are miserable because they've been sold the Dr. Spock lie that everything about the world is them. That their whole world is about themselves and their own value and their own self-esteem and the whole world surrounds around them and they value themselves more than anything else. If I see one more 17-year-old Disney star tell my kids that life is about what you want to do and making yourself happy and just being yourself, I think I'm going to throw something at the TV because we got a bunch of miserable kids you know why? Because if the value of your life is yourself, at the end of the day, that's all you have. How be thy name? Your life is supposed to be about glorifying him and worshiping him and serving him. Amen? 
You want to be happy in 2016? Stop living for yourself. Start living for the glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, God. What does that say to us? God, spend my life. God, my prayer to you is that your kingdom would come and that your name would be glorified and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. God, my prayer is that you do what you want to do, that you don't answer my my sinful, selfish prayer that, that just wants something in my own flesh, but God, my prayer is that you would protect me from that and that somehow you enabled me to do your will and that your will would come in my life and that what you want, what you value, what you want to see happy, happen in my life would be the way my life is spent. We have to reposture, we have to reorient our hearts and our minds to value what he values, to go after what he wants in our lives. And, and as we do that, we're going to see his name glorified. And can I tell you, we can't outgive him because that's what he's created us to do. And as we worship him with our lives, can I tell you, it will add value to your life as well. God kind of turns everything upside down and says those who lose their lives gain it, right? Those who get, try, try to pursue their own life, they lose it. And this prayer reorients, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's so much more that I need to look into in terms of how much I'm actually praying like this and living like this. Anybody else feel that way? Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's how Jesus told us to pray. This, for me, for us, I hope, I pray, the word of God would reorient and reprioritize our lives as we pursue him above all else together. As we Seek after him and his will and his kingdom above all else together. What are the implications of that in my life? The list is exhaustive. How is his kingdom coming and his will being done in my time, in my job, in my relationships, with my kids, with my wife, with my wallet, in my bank account? There's some prioritizing and reorienting I need to prayerfully do in a room with the door shut and no one else around. How many of you guys are with me? And then we move to, really, that place we all live. That place as we, in a grand way, pray for the hallowing of his name and the glory of his name and his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. This prayer is not to say that God isn't also engaged and interested subsequent to that, underneath that, supporting that with your need. And it really all goes back, all, we say there's three petitions and then three petitions. It's really there's one in five because all of it goes back to the hallowing of his name. Give us this day, our, give me my daily bread. God, I need to eat today. 
Why? So your name would be held, so you'd be glorified. Forgive me as I forgive. Why? So that you would be glorified and your name would be hallowed. And, and protect me from my sin. Protect me from circumstances and evil that would cause me to fall into temptation, that would cause me to fall into a place where I fail and I somehow um, bring dishonor to your name. Protect me from that, God. Why? So that his name is held and so that he's glorified. Amen? So we see this petition for provision. God, you know, Jesus doesn't say, dear God, get me the 900 million, right? Just give me my daily bread. My daily bread. I need to be provided for, and I'm trusting you, God, for that. And Lord, my prayer is that you would forgive me. What a prayer. Because without your forgiveness, God, in my sin, I would not survive. Right? In the guilt of my sin, in my failure, and where I fall short of the glory of God, if I'm not forgiven by you, I would die. If I'm not forgiven by you, I would not be able to be in your presence for eternity. God, I'm praying for forgiveness. And this is not a prayer that is theologically a need that you pray every day so that you need to continually be forgiven every day or you're not forgiven. Jesus' work on the cross finished it once and for all, and you are forgiven. But there is an engagement in prayer for forgiveness every single day that, God, you would forgive me as I pursue the consummation of what you've already done on the cross. I'm asking for your forgiveness, and I'm asking subsequent to that for you to protect me from further sin, from further temptation, and from further evil. There is this Paul running the race and pursuing it that I would finish strong. And God, I'm asking you to help me to finish strong in your forgiveness of me. And as I reflect on how you've forgiven me so that I do not have to die, how you died for me as a substitute on the cross for me as, as you paid for sin and as the judgment of God was poured out on you, I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you for your forgiveness. And in relationship to my understanding of that, I must and do forgive others, right? As we reflect on our need for forgiveness prayerfully, as you get into that room and you shut the door and you're alone with God and you recognize the depths of your own sin and I recognize the depth of my own sin and I look to his forgiveness my only prayerful posture would be to look around me and say, am I harboring bitterness or a debt from another that I haven't forgiven? Right? As I get behind that door alone and cry out to God, for him, the faithful, loving God, to forgive me for my sin. There is no possible way in relationship to that that I could continue to hold someone else accountable for their debt to me. As we reflect and as we look on the cross and the reality that my sin put him there, there is nothing 
that anyone could do to me that I haven't already done worse to God and been forgiven for. Right? Some of us, that's so, right, some of you are sitting there looking at me and saying, wow, that's easy to say. I know. What do we got to do? We got to get in a room. We got to get behind the door. We got to get into the word. We got to begin to pray. Say, dear God, forgive me. Forgive me for, for my sin and forgive me for holding others accountable for, for how they've caused hurt and debt towards me. And we have to let God give us his perspective. And we have to recognize, as Jesus clearly says in Matthew chapter 6, how could you be unforgiving towards others and expect that kind of forgiveness from God? Right? It's as clear as day in verse 15. You don't get forgiven if you're unforgiving. There's a reality about this. We're gonna, about to walk through down the road here a series on parables, and I don't know if we're doing this one, but Jesus speaks of the parable of the man who was in great debt to a ruler, and that man came to him and forgave him of his debt. And the forgiven man rejoiced in that forgiveness, and then he turned around, and there was a man down the line who was indebted to him. And he looked at him and he said, you got to pay me back. And he had him thrown in jail. Right? And Jesus says, the original ruler where that great debt was owed, who had forgiven the debt, comes back and says, absolutely not. Right? And he then holds him accountable for his debt. We have been forgiven. And we pray to God for that forgiveness in relationship to how we now, in turn, with that perspective, love and forgive others. Boy, that takes some prayer, doesn't it? That takes some time alone with God. Some of you maybe sitting in this room are thinking of a debt owed to you that maybe hurts so deeply that the practical reality of, of this type of forgiveness uh, proves incredibly emotionally difficult. Right? I mean, I, I recognize in a room this size with folks sitting here that there have been things done to you that would cause unforgiveness in your heart and would cause any reasonable person to say, What that person did to me is too much. And God comes as your father and he says, I have forgiven you of so much. And I'm releasing you to then in turn forgive. And as you do that, you're going to experience a freedom and a love and a grace from God that goes so far beyond this comfort you have felt in holding your bitterness. We got to get there. Give us our daily bread, God. Forgive us. And then God, protect me from circumstances that would cause me to potentially fall and sin. Guys, let's take this year together and let's just do some battle on the sin in our life. Let's take this year 
and not just float through life every day hoping that we've built enough structure and things in our life around us to keep us from falling. And then finally, in the security and in the arrogance of our own flesh, we feel like we got this thing under control. And the next thing you know, you've screwed up, you've betrayed someone, you've sinned, you've fallen again. And you look back on that sin and you go, dear God, how did I end up here again? How did I end up in this place where I thought I had it under control and I blew it again? And feel that, that mourning and that, and that just the condemnation sometimes and the guilt that that fall and that sin brings. And what Jesus says is get into that place behind the door with the door shut and cry out to God and say, God, I want to engage you in prayer. I want to ask you to protect me from that, guard me from that, keep me from temptation, God. Build in me this, this protection so that I would not find myself in those circumstances to fall again and bring dishonor to your name. We've all been there. Let's do something intentional about it. Let's make it a priority this year to pray about it, to get into that place and ask God for his help. Father, Dad, I need your help because my propensity is to screw up and I need you to protect me from evil. Amen? So Jesus tells us to pray. Let's go after it. Let's be intentional about it. Let's not just walk through life hoping we make it and we don't fall into these temptations. Sometimes success is our biggest enemy, isn't it? Man, I've been doing great. I, I'm never going to do that again. I'm doing awesome. And we walk through in a prayerless, non-engaging of God type of life just day to day to day to day and then all of a sudden it hits you and you screwed up again and you're sitting in a place experiencing in your flesh the consequences of sin. Sometimes those consequences are irreparable this side of heaven, and you're going, how did I end up here? And Jesus says, get into that place and say, God, Dad, I need your help. Protect me. Keep me from this. Amen? What a challenge. Why do we do this? Why do we pray this way? So that his name is hallowed. Amen? So that our life becomes all about bringing him glory. So that at the end of the day, what we get, what we have, what we get to value and, and, and just get at the end of this whole thing isn't ourselves it's him and all of his glory and his name that is to be hallowed throughout the world, throughout the ages. God, you be glorified in my life. Your kingdom come in my life. God, give me this daily bread. Help me with my temptation. Help me with forgiveness so that you would be glorified and your name would be hallowed. Can that be our prayer this year in 2016 together? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your word. And we ask that it would be perspective changing. We ask that it would be a paradigm shift in our mind and in the way we think about things in life and prayer. 
God, I pray for, in this congregation, uh, for each of us, that our prayer lives in 2016 would be drastically different. I pray that you would help us to pray differently than we've ever prayed before, that you would help us to not just have this Lord's Prayer memorized as something we've been saying since we were a kid, but it would, that, but it would, it would derive meaning, that it, would, that it would drive deep into our hearts and into our soul, and that it would change us, change the way we interact with you, change the way we think. Most importantly, as we come soon, this morning, to your table as Mike leads us in communion. Help us to recognize that the Jesus who stood on the Sermon on the Mountain said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, was not too long from then about to sit with his disciples and, and hold up a cup and say, drink of this cup which represents my blood which is shed for you. Help us this morning not to forget that we are forgiven because the Jesus who taught us to pray this way became the spotless lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, so that we can come to Abba. We can come to our Father and have access to him and cry out to him for help because Jesus has made the way. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you don't leave us to dangle in this life and try to figure it out ourselves, but that you have brought us your word. Use it to change us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.